music. Yay. <laughs> Greetings, and welcome back to the Highest Court Report podcast. As always, I'm your host, Connor, and thank you for joining me. Unsurprisingly, there was yet another ridiculous SCOTUS docket experience. I promise we are going to talk climate protocol from the Biden administration, I, I assure you. But frankly, I really, really need to talk about this case in concept. Money rules all, and the third branch is not excluded from this immutable iron law of oligarchy. Anyway, let's get into it. This is episode nine. Who's afraid of the dark money? The Supreme Court will hear a rather major case on April 26th that could fundamentally alter the court's approach to laws requiring political organizations to disclose their donors, a change that could essentially make it much easier for big spenders to hide the ways in which they seek to influence policy in elections. The case Americans for Prosperity v. Rodriguez is the one at question here. But to really comprehend it, it's critical to keep in mind the Supreme Court's decision in Citizens United v. FEC. This, to be sure, is one of the most consequential cases in the history of SCOTUS. Now, Citizens United is best known for its anti-canonical holding, which states that corporations can literally spend unlimited money to influence elections because freedom of speech, right? Now, while five of the justices who heard Citizens United ruled to dismantle much of the country's campaign finance laws, eight justices also issued a ruling stating that the government has broad authority to require advocacy groups to disclose major funders of their political activity. Disclosure requirements should be upheld, Justice Anthony Kennedy wrote for the court, as long as there is a, quote, substantial relation between the disclosure requirements and a sufficiently important governmental interest, end quote. Now, a lot has changed since Citizens United tucked this pro-disclosure ruling into its broader disclosure against campaign finance limits. Though, four of the eight justices who supported disclosure rules have since left the court, and three of them were replaced by judges who are significantly more conservative than the person they replace, needless to say. But I'll say it anyways. This brings us to Americans for Prosperity Foundation case. The plaintiffs in the case, which frankly include a conservative advocacy group closely associated with the billionaire Koch brothers, as well as the Thomas More Law Center, a hyper-conservative law firm that claims it was formed to promote America Judeo-Christian heritage. Now, the specific issue in Americans for Prosperity is fairly far afield of the foundational questions about money and politics, which has animated Citizens United. The plaintiffs challenge a California regulation which requires that charities who are intending to raise tax-deductible funds in California to disclose their largest contributors to the state attorney general's office. 
state regulations require that the Attorney General keep this information confidential from the public, but the Attorney General's office may use it to investigate allegations of fraud by said nonprofits. The Americans for Prosperity plaintiffs claim that this disclosure regulation is unconstitutional, and they rely largely on doctrines created to prevent civil rights organizations from having to disclose their donors to Jim Crow government officials in the 1950s and 60s. Now, there are difficult questions underlying Americans for Prosperity. If you are inclined to be unsympathetic to a Koch-aligned group that wants to keep its donors secret, imagine a very similar case where Texas required Planned Parenthood to disclose its donors to the state attorney general's office. Would you have confidence that no one in that office would leak the names of those donors to, say, Tucker Carlson? However, the court has spent the last 60 years, give or take, striking a careful balance between the public interest in requiring charities and advocacy groups to disclose where they get their money and the group's interests in making sure that the donors are not harassed, intimidated, or attacked by people who loathe a particular group and what it may or may not stand for. Americans for Prosperity gives the court's very conservative majority an opportunity to rework this balance. Now, these justices uh, could allow political groups to operate with far more secrecy, allowing wealthy donors to shape American politics in the shadows, which they already do, to be fair. Now, in the mid-1950s, an Alabama court ordered the NAACP, which was then the preeminent organization fighting segregation in the Jim Crow South, to turn over a full list of its members to the state attorney general, and then imposed a $100,000 fine on the NAACP if it did not comply. Now, had the NAACP complied, it could have placed those members in very grave danger. State officials could have turned over the list of members to the Ku Klux Klan, for instance. Or they may have disclosed them to racist employers who could have fired the NAACP's members and blacklisted them from obtaining future employment. The Alabama court's order, in other words, was a fairly transparent effort to shut down the NAACP's operations in Alabama, either by terrorizing the organization's members or by imposing crippling fines on the NAACP itself. The $100,000 fine imposed by the state court was roughly the equivalent of a $1 million fine in today's dollars. Ultimately, however, this scheme did not succeed. In NAACP v. Alabama x Rel Patterson, 1958, a unanimous Supreme Court ruled that Alabama could not force the NAACP to disclose its members. 
given the obvious danger of those members if their names were disclosed. Quote, We think that the production order, in the respects here drawn in question, must be regarded as entailing the likelihood of a substantial restraint upon the exercise by petitioners' members of their right of freedom of association. End quote. This was from Justice John Marshall Harlan writing for his court. He added that the NAACP had made, quote, an uncontroverted showing that revelation of the identity of his rank-and-file members had exposed these members to economic reprisal, loss of employment, and threat of physical coercion, and other manifestations of public hostility, end quote. Now, the NAACP was uh, an extreme case, to be sure, and the plaintiffs in Americans for Prosperity do not allege anything that even vaguely resembles the kind of abuse and intimidation that the NAACP members at the time faced in the Jim Crow South. As a lower court that upheld California's disclosure law explained, an executive with the Americans for Prosperity Foundation, quote, described two individuals who, she believed, stopped supporting the foundation in light of actual or feared retaliation by the IRS, end quote. Similarly, the Thomas More Law Center, quote, introduced a letter from a contributor who chose to make a $25 contribution anonymously out of fear that ISIS would break into the law center's office, obtain a list of contributors, and target them, end quote. Unlike the NAACP in the 1950s, in other words, the Americans for Prosperity plaintiffs largely raise speculative fears that, by disclosing their major donors to one government agency, that information may somehow, in some form of violation of California state regulations, wind up in the hands of another agency, which might target those donors. Or, in the case of the Law Center, that the donor information might wind up being discovered by a terrorist organization located on the other side of the globe, which will then target American donors to the law center. <laughs> that said, the plaintiffs do have some basis to fear that some of their donor information might accidentally be disclosed to the public itself. An expert witness hired by Americans for Prosperity was able to hack the state's website and uncover confidential donor information, although this security hole has since been plugged, according to reports. And clerical workers in the California Attorney General's office once accidentally made a small fraction of the office's confidential records public. Now, the plaintiffs fear that had their donor information become widely available to the public through a similar error, then those donors might be harassed or businesses might be boycotted, you know, canceled. The core question in Americans for Prosperity is whether this fear that 
an inadvertent disclosure might happen and that such a disclosure might lead to consequences for donors is a rather sufficient reason to invoke constitutional protections intended to shield organizations like the NAACP in the Jim Crow era. Now, under current precedents, the Supreme Court uses two sorting methods to help identify which disclosure laws should be struck down. The first is a balancing test, much adorned by the Roberts Court, to be sure, uh, described in Citizens United. Under the test, a disclosure law should be upheld if there is a, quote, substantial relation, end quote, between the disclosure requirement and a sufficiently important governmental interest. Thus, Alabama's attempt to obtain the NAACP's members list was invalid because the only interest that Alabama sought to advance when it sought this list was undermining the NAACP itself. By contrast, for example, a federal appeals court upheld California's disclosure rule because by obtaining information about major donors to nonprofit organizations, the state advanced its important interest in determining whether a charity is actually engaged in a charitable purpose or is instead violating California law by engaging in a self-dealing improper loans or other unfair business practices nature. Now, as California explains in its brief to the Supreme Court, the state's disclosure rule, quote, helps state regulators detect whether a charity is misusing charitable assets, such as by diverting funds for a donor's personal enrichment, end quote. A businessman might, for example, make a tax-deductible donation to a nonprofit organization, which immediately turns around and hires that businessman's company as a quote-unquote consultant, thus allowing the businessman to make a fraudulent tax deduction without actually contributing anything to the charity. The second mechanism that the court uses to sort through challenges to disclosure laws is that it ordinarily requires such challenges to be brought on an quote-unquote as-applied basis, a mechanism that allows courts to pay special attention to the specific facts of an individual case. Courts distinguish between facial challenges, which allege that a law is invalid in all circumstances and must cease to operate altogether, and as-applied challenges, which necessarily allege that the law is only unconstitutional when applied to a particular plaintiff. Thus, if a plaintiff prevails in a facial challenge, the challenged law can no longer be enforced against anyone. But if a plaintiff prevails in an as-applied challenge, the government may still be able to challenge the 
law against other parties themselves. As applied challenges are therefore preferred mechanisms to challenge a disclosure law because such a challenge typically hinges on the particular impact of that law on a particular plaintiff. In Americans for Prosperity, for example, the plaintiffs allege that they engage in unpopular political work that makes their donors unusually vulnerable to harassment and intimidation. But the same cannot be said about most nonprofits. It is highly unlikely, for example, that donors to the March of Dimes, for instance, would be harassed if their donations became public knowledge. Thus, when a party challenges a particular disclosure law, courts will often ask whether that individual party should be exempted from said law, rather than striking down the law on its face. In Citizens United, for example, the court explained that a facial challenge to certain campaign finance disclosure laws was inappropriate. But, quote, as applied challenges would be available, end quote, if a group could show or demonstrate a reasonable probability that disclosure of its contributors' names will subject them to threats, harassment, reprisals from either government officials or private parties. Nevertheless, the plaintiffs in Americans for Prosperity bring a facial challenge to California's disclosure law. They also claim that the balancing test described in Citizens United should be abandoned in favor of something much more skeptical of disclosure laws themselves. Though there are some important differences between the argument in the Americas for Prosperity Foundation's brief and the Thomas More Law Center's brief. Now, both argue that Citizens United's relatively permissive rule governing disclosure laws should be, in the words of the former brief, quote, confined to election regulation, end quote. Thus, while the government may be able to require advocacy groups to disclose their donors when those groups attempt to influence an election, for example, disclosure laws enacted in any other context would be treated as far more suspect. Most disclosure laws, to be sure, the plaintiffs mainly claim that they must be narrowly tailored to serve the purpose of that law. Thus, they argue that the California law should fall because the state could use less intrusive methods to investigate fraudulent nonprofits, such as only subpoenaing records from charities that are under investigation, i.e. the NRA. <laughs> The state, for its part, argues that relying on subpoenas is not enough, in part because subpoenas tip off a fraudulent organization that is under investigation. But there's also a much more fundamental problem with the plaintiff's 
attempt to draw a line between election-related disclosure laws and laws that do not touch on elections themselves. The border between issue and advocacy and election-related advocacy is notoriously porous. Before Citizens United opened the floodgates to unlimited corporate spending, for example, lawmakers struggled to draw a sensible line between issue ads, i.e. ads intended to inform voters about policy-related matters, as well as electioneering communications, which sought to influence an election itself, if an advocacy group runs an ad saying, for instance, tell Congressman Smith that he was wrong to vote for Obamacare, is that ad merely educating voters about a policy matter? Or does it seek to undermine Smith's re-election bid? What if the ad also praises Smith's opponent for opposing said Obamacare? What if he... What if that, that ad itself runs a week before the election? The plaintiff's proposed rule could very easily allow advocacy groups to evade disclosure rules altogether, which apply to election ads and similar communication with voters, so long as those communications superficially appear to focus on issues. Now, ultimately, cases like Americans for Prosperity come down to a question of values. Should donors who wish to spend gobs of money influencing public policy be allowed to do so anonymously? And if we as the public think that the answer to this question typically should be no, at what point do we give special attention and protections to these donors who face harassment, boycotts, or worse. In the case Doe v. Reed, 2010, a case about whether the public should be allowed to learn who signed a petition seeking to call a referendum on a state law, Justice Antonin Scalia offered a bracing answer to these questions. Requiring people to stand up in public for their political acts fosters civic courage, without which democracy is doomed. For my part, I do not look forward to a society which, thanks to the Supreme Court, <laughs> campaigns anonymously and even exercises the direct democracy of initiative and referendum hidden from public scrutiny and the protected from the accountability of criticism. This does not resemble the home of the brave. Home of the brave was capitalized, by the way. Scalia concluded that, quote, harsh criticism, short of unlawful actions, is a price our people have traditionally been willing to pay for self-governance, end quote. Now, there do have to be some limits on the government's power to require advocacy groups to disclose their donors. 
NAACP represents a particularly stark example of why. And now if either of the plaintiffs in Americans for Prosperity case has evidence that their donors face a serious risk of illegal reprisals, then they should be allowed to bring an as-applied challenge to disclosure laws that endanger those said donors. But the Americans for Prosperity plaintiffs ask for way more. They ask for a fundamental shift in how the court approaches disclosure laws themselves. And while they may concede that there might be campaign disclosure laws in the elections context, it's far, far from clear that the court will still draw a sensible line between issue-related advocacy and election advocacy in its own right. The views that Scalia expressed in Doe represent a confident conservatism, a conservatism that believes it can win the hearts and minds of the nation through open debate. But that brand of conservatism has been replaced by something far more insecure and far, far more fearful of a frequently overblown cancel culture that is ready to pounce on anyone brazen enough to express a conservative viewpoint. Americans for Prosperity will be an early sign of just how far this new, more insecure conservatism has penetrated through the Supreme Court. Thank you again for listening today. The nature of the corporate form is one of the most distressing issues at play justiciably. Next week, I really, really hope that we can discuss the climate, considering that, you know, we all could die from climate change. Anyway, thank you so much again for joining me. This is the Highest Court Report. Signing.